1: There are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses.
2: It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio Studios in Toronto. With Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers, here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle.
3: be my friends, another weekend, another round of money talk. Uh, in the news this week, uh, Activision, uh, online gaming stock uh, in the crosshairs of Big Microsoft, some 70 plus billion dollar deal. Uh, Jack, uh, you're on top of the story. Uh, you sent me a quick note. You said the market doesn't anticipate the deal going through. Let's start with that. What do you know about the story? Well, if I'm just looking at the price action, right? So Microsoft offered, I believe, $90 to start for the takeover bid, $90 a share that is. Increased the price target or the price offering to $95. And the stock right now, as I'm looking at it uh, Thursday morning, is trading 82.14. So it's trading significantly below the offer price. And I think that the market's saying there's maybe some regulatory issues that they're going to have to deal with to get this across the finish line. Well, a uh, gaming expert, um, futurist, uh, host, and creator of Where's My Jetpack, formerly of BNN, uh, Mr. Michael Hainsworth. Uh, keen on the subject matter, uh, well-versed in it. Uh, Michael, I can't thank you enough for spending some time with us this Saturday night. Uh, What's your take on the uh, Microsoft uh, bid for gaming company Activision? Well, as you
4: say, you know, there is some concern here that it might not pass regulatory muster, uh, largely because it makes Microsoft the world's number three video game company, behind uh, China's 10 cent and Sony a- as well. The Xbox Game Pass subscription is really what it's all about. That service has 25 million subscribers. And when you bring a large organization like Activision Blizzard into that fold, you help create a ring fence around the industry that makes it difficult for smaller players to get into the market and essentially create games that everybody wants to play, because if it's not with the Xbox Game Pass subscription service, is anybody really going to see it in the first place? But while it feels like this is about video games, it's really more about the metaverse.
3: So that's what I want you to speak about. Um, again, let's go through what is the metaverse for those listeners uh, and myself for a refresher, uh, the concept of what is the metaverse and, and and how do you see Microsoft's partnership with Activision uh, increasing their foothold in the quote-unquote metaverse. Michael Hainsworth?
4: The metaverse was a a term that most people didn't know existed until Facebook converted its name to meta and told everyone that the metaverse was going to be the next generation internet. Now, Zuckerberg's not wrong on on that front. We had Web 1.0, Web 2.0, Web 3.0 is next. Web 1.0 was the bare minimum, the basics for connectivity, email, basic websites. Web 2.0, as we moved into mobile and had a whole new way of communicating with each other, At our fingertips 24 7, played a huge role in making the internet what it is today. But the expectation is that Web 3.0 is going to be about being in the Internet. Putting a a pair of eyeglasses on and having things superimposed in front of your vision, uh, meaning you don't really need a smartphone anymore because your glasses become your smartphone. Uh, And that kind of technology is very nascent at this point, very early days for it. But companies like Meta are staking their claim. Microsoft is too. What's the most interesting thing about this and why Activision Blizzard plays a role in the future of the metaverse for Microsoft is that video game technology is an excellent foundation for the metaverse. It's already 3D. Video games already have socialization and interaction routines. They have ways to sort of squelch the trolls as well. You know, you'd think maybe Twitter might pick them up on that kind of technology with an estimated one and a half billion video gamers in the world already. That's like 20% of the planet. Yeah, it makes the idea of building a metaverse for the geeks, the nerds, the video game fans, a very easy. And as we know, as goes the geek, So goes the rest of the world. You remember back in 2007, people said the iPhone was a toy and it'd never take off and your mom would never own one. Of course, you can't get your mom off it now. This is the expectation that we'll build a foundation for the metaverse using the technology of video games because that's already a nascent technology that works well
3: you, know, you know, history is funny uh when you when you look back uh, with technology specifically in uh, in our office on Bay Street on our windowsill we have i think about nine uh former uh handheld devices uh and you know they're, they're basically just relatively similar in appearance um, but but a real um Uh, pivot into something new uh, and away from a cell phone uh, is a stretch for the imagination, but it's always a stretch. I remember getting into broadcast sales and, and and coming across a cellular uh, dealer that was actually on the outskirts of Toronto. uh, And they said that they're going to locate that way. So cars could drive in, have the phone installed into their car and away you go. And I was representing a 18 to 34 year old demo and that was not the demo that they were looking for. They were looking for business uh, executives uh, and the likes to, to purchase mobile technology. They said 18 to 34 year olds will never be able to afford and embrace this technology. It's not for them. (laughs) Fast forward to 2007, out comes the iPhone and the skeptics uh, were there. Uh, That became the dominant product for Apple and what they built around that remarkable. So, you know, Michael, it's, 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 it's nice to speak about this stuff because we have to remind ourselves that we have to keep an open mind. And you know, I'm just thinking as you talk about sunglasses, those COVID shields that people are walking around with, so they got a face mask and a plastic <laughs> shield. Maybe that would be it. And you could could you toggle in between the verse and the and reality? Maybe have a, a two screen so that you're shopping and you're actually in the store, but then you're also in the verse do some maybe some comparison shopping. I don't know. I throw it out to you.
4: Well, let, let me take it one step further. In 2014, Samsung patented a pair of contact lenses that beam screens directly into your eyeballs. Forget the glasses. <laughs> and, 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 and you know as well as I do, when you follow, particularly in the pharmaceutical industry, uh, anything you put on or in your body requires clinical trials, and clinical trials could take anywhere from five to ten years. So if they patented this thing in 2014, it's distinctly possible that within the next few years, we are going to skip an entire generation of uh, on your face technology and jump into the contact lens world because there are additional technologies that will help make the metaverse possible in the real world out and about much like how your cell phone made the internet possible back in the olden days and it's 5g wireless and it's another technology called edge cloud computing we already know about cloud computing data centers were the big thing a decade ago we learned about them but when you take the ultra low latency communications of 5g where we're literally talking 1 to 10 milliseconds round trip for data from point A to point B back to point A again. You can then put all of the heavy lifting for the computing power that's necessary for this sort of thing into the cloud and then only being the final product to your face. And that is sort of that next generation metaverse once we figure out things like Microsoft. Working with Activision, Apple coming out with $3,000 pairs of sunglasses that act as augmented reality devices. That's sort of
3: where we're going. <laughs> wow uh carry on michael like, what else do you see uh, in this uh metaverse space and, and and again let's try to bring it home so that we so we we can truly appreciate the potential for it again really what i'm thinking about here is real estate and, and branding uh can you speak to that there's a, a huge
4: rush on right now. It's sort of similar to what we're seeing in the Wild West, where we had people staking their claims because there was gold in the NAR Hills. We know there's gold in the NAR Hills. We don't really exactly know where it is, but we're going to start exploring that particular option. So what's actually happening is, you know, for years we've had virtual real estate. Uh, For a decade now, we've had a, a, a predecessor to the metaverse called Second Life. And the premise behind it was that it was a sandbox. And as the metaphor of a sandbox goes, you can bring your shovels and your pails and uh, some water, and you can build any kind of sandcastle you want. And so long as we build the underlying physics and the look and feel of something, give you the tools, you can do what you want. And that's what we've seen already. So we're starting to see that as well here. You know, Roblox recently listed on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol RBLX. That's a video game for kids. It's like next generation Lego. It They IPO'd at a billion bucks and value the company at almost 30 billion. That's that next generation gold rush that we're
3: seeing already. Uh, you know, Roblox. That came. Across, thank you for that, Michael. That, that came across our screens, Jack. I, I spoke about it a few times in the afternoon. charts picked it up for us. Uh, we subscribe to a number of different tools, Michael. It's just software grabbing data and synthesizing that data for idea generation. And I've come up with a lot of great ideas with these tools. Roblox was one of them. Uh, and by well, the I'll way, what, it's, it's, a 40, it's a forty-two billion dollar company. Can uh, <laughs> do you tell me well, Yeah. So, what does that company do? I was just going to jump in there, Wolf. I'll tell you where the idea came from. And uh, it's going back to a Peter Lynch style of investing. Wolf, it was uh, my son, James, he's on it. He's eight years old, loves Roblox, loves the coding um, and is totally immersed with it. And then, uh, oh. as Michael said, it came out as an IPO, high valuation, but lots of growth in the name. And uh, I'm sure Michael can well you know, go through the details on what the company well, actually does. I'll tell you, I'm looking at the chart right now, Michael and Jack. Uh, stock actually hit $135 in November. It's now $80. So, Michael, that, that stock was actually trading at about an almost an 80. I'll call it a 70 billion dollar market cap. Goodness gracious, wow! The, the company has only been out on market since 20, April of 21. Lockup phase six to nine months. Some paper probably hit the market eh? Some year-end selling. Wow. That's a very interesting interesting company. Uh, Michael, I'm going to get back to that name when we get back. we would take a quick break. Uh, we are talking money uh, with Michael Hainsworth, formerly of BNN, uh, CTV News Network, uh, now host of Where's My Jetpack? It's a futuristic podcast. Check that out. And Michael Hainsworth joining us. We're talking tech. Uh, no better man to do so than Mr. Hainsworth. Stay tuned. Uh, we are Hi Fi Radio, show about money. 640
2: Toronto. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.
0: You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. Money,
3: HiFi Radio, uh, any questions for Jack or I, uh, check us out, WolfgangKlein.com. Uh, our mandates are up, updates to the mandates every month. You can follow our progress, our success, and how we help clients build wealth. And please, any questions, never hesitate to reach out to us. We will get back to you. Uh, we're talking tech. Uh, Michael Hainsworth, formerly of BNN, the CTV News Network, uh, now host of Where's My Jetpack, uh, Michael, very much in tune with technology. Uh, if I've met a geek, Michael's the man. Uh, we're talking, Michael, let's, let's get back to that name, Roblox. Um, so can you describe to me what is it this company does and what makes it so interesting as a play in the metaverse?
4: Uh, Roblox is uh, essentially building blocks for kids to create their own video games. Uh, and it's uh, a fantastic opportunity to introduce kids to cause and effect the way systems work all of this kind of stuff but it's it's really quite remarkable we were talking before the break uh, about how it's been trading it's off about 40 percent from its peak price Uh, and its long-term prospects are considered quite promising um the, the issue at this point right now is how does it take it to the next level? And part of that comes down to the, multi- uh, the metaverse, as we've been discussing er- earlier. The idea that you want to um, ingratiate yourself with that next generation. And these kids are going to be doing that. Uh, I-, I had a fabulous variation of the, the Roblox experience in the metaverse already. You probably are familiar, if you've got kids, with Minecraft, Minecraft is the ultimate, you know, Lego building blocks on your computer type environment. But I got to build in Minecraft in virtual reality with a VR headset using my physical hand to physically chop down virtual trees, turn them into blocks, all that kind of stuff. And <laughs> it was absolutely Fascinating. But it required me to wear a bulky VR headset with an umbilical cord to a $2,000 personal computer and have a room dedicated to all that kind of stuff. VR and AR are the next generation of the Internet to a large degree. Ultimately, our smartphones are going to go away and we're just going to flip on a pair of sunglasses, you know, so you can see the light that's right before your eyes. You don't want to switch the blade on a guy in shades, oh no. But once you've got these glasses <laughs> on, you're integrated into the real world and the virtual world simultaneously. Of the $300 billion that AR, VR is expected to be within the next two years, 90% of that, 85 to 90% of that is expected to be augmented reality, not virtual reality. So the next step is how do we take all of this and bring everybody, generally speaking, into the metaverse in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Yeah, so what is augmented reality, Michael? So, as as I say, virtual reality is when you put on goggles and it blocks out the whole real world. Augmented reality is just adding to the existing reality, and the most expected way by which we'll augment our world is by wearing eyeglasses that see the real world and then augments Additional information on top of it. My favorite example and the most simplest thing, I am terrible with names and faces. And so I'm going to be able to go to my butcher shop one day, and the guy that I talk to every week when I buy my meat, whose name I forget every week, my glasses are going to pop up over his head his name. And I'm never going to have to worry about forgetting someone's name again because the cameras that are built into my augmented reality glasses are monitoring the real world, figuring out what it's all about, and giving me relevant information on top of it. Now, in the video game world, it's going to be aliens and bad guys lurking around corners that you can shoot with your fingers as a virtual gun. <laughs> but at the end of the day, the real value is going to be adding to our world in ways that allow us to be better humans.
3: Be kind. Um, Billy Gervais, I was watching his uh, series on Netflix, and uh, at the end of it, uh, said, be kind. Uh, so, indeed, uh, I think that's a good move in the right direction. Um, let's talk about who is participating in the space. Facebook has changed its name to Meta. Uh, you mentioned Apple is coming out with some $3,000 sunglasses. Uh, Amazon, Disney, um, uh, who else would be the big player Google? Where are, uh, where are these dominant media uh, companies uh, viewing the the, the metaverse and, and, and what will be their strategic entrance into it it's interesting that there are two paths that these organizations,
4: these companies are, are taking. Meta, formerly Facebook, is primarily focused on the lower end, the inexpensive end. One of the most popular gifts over the Christmas holidays this past year was the Oculus and now Meta. Quest 2 VR headset. That's a $300 proposition. Now, I remember back in the late 1990s, standing in line in the summer sun at the CNE for like hours on end (laughs) for a 15-minute opportunity to put a virtual reality headset on me. That was like the size of a small truck. Um, (laughs) The the Quest 2 is incredibly light, incredibly small, very high-powered. But the interesting thing is is that it's only 300 bucks, so anybody can get into that.
3: Yeah. Wow. Now,
4: Apple – now, I've been saying sunglasses, but they're probably going to be more like goggles uh, that Apple is putting out. The, the price tag has been, list, uh, been predicted as anywhere from 2000 to $3,000, and part of that has to do with the tech that goes in it. The screens are, that are in front of your face are expected to be very high quality, but there are also as many as 12 cameras on this thing, cameras pointing out to the world wow. – and cameras pointing in at you. They're looking at your eyes so that they know exactly where you're looking. They're looking at your nose and your mouth to know what your facial expression is. And they're designed to create a virtual avatar of you that can be used in both the real world as well as a virtual world. One of the biggest hurdles that we need to overcome if we're going to make augmented reality and virtual reality in the metaverse ultimately viable is if we have an accurate representation of ourselves in that world. And so far, it's very basic. Meta has only managed to basically get a hand wave, and when it hears us uh, with a a positive tone in our voice, puts a smile on the face of our avatars. But maybe with a sarcastic son-of-a-gun like me, a smile on my face isn't going to be the appropriate facial gesture for what the word is coming out of my mouth. So being able to know exactly how our faces are reacting and acting will be critical to that. And companies like Apple are throwing an insane amount of money at incredibly expensive devices so that they can jump into that space uh, full on, as opposed to dipping their toe in as as Facebook and Meta are doing at this point. What comes Uh, out of Google and some of the others remains to be seen, but Apple uh, and uh, Meta and those two companies seem to be the primary place. Microsoft's got HoloLens, but it's not really ready for prime time outside of the enterprise market.
3: So, so Apple and f- formerly Facebook, now Meta, are, are two obvious plays uh, in the space. Very interesting to know. And isn't it an incredible, Jack, when you look at the, some of the companies we own, and we all talk about them being high-quality companies, but companies like Google, uh, we don't own Amazon, but again, that would be a similar uh, type company. They have these massive R&D to, uh, budgets where they're always investing in the next thing. And there is a lot of flops, and every now and then they hit it. Um, tell me something, Michael, on that topic um, companies who are investing in a in, in multitude of different arenas, uh, who do you think has the highest success rate so far? We look at the big FANG complex. Who has the most success in in the metaverse so far? Is what you're no, the, the the greatest success at at creating the next thing uh, within their 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 own uh, four walls. So again, I look I look at Google's developments. Uh, you know, I don't know how many different. I think they were calling it, but was it Jack the next projects? Uh, they had, they that a name for the department? Um, the next big thing. I think maybe Google's department was any I mean, Google initiatives Google, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, but but. Google, Amazon, Facebook, Apple, Microsoft, they all have these departments that are looking for the next thing to participate in. I'm just wondering who you find to be the most successful at finding uh, new avenues for cash flow, (laughs) because it gets down to making money.
4: I I don't think um, a lot of the fanboys are going to appreciate the answer to this, but um, Facebook is doing a bang-up job in this department. Um, And... The, and Android fanboys in the Google world are not gonna be happy to hear that. I think Apple is is the one to watch. And the reason why I say that is based upon their past experience. Apple is um, inaccurately credited with being sort of the, the 21st century smartphone developer. We know Blackberry was there first, but Apple sort of picked up the mantle and, and ran with it. And they do that a lot. They're never the first company in in, in the business. People will say that the the, the iPod was the first MP3 player. No, no, it wasn't. But it was the first MP3 player that was easy to use, easy to add music, easy to listen to music, create playlists. So they dominated that at the end of the day. The same thing happened with the smartphone market. On the low end, sure, there's Google and Android and Samsung is is the major player in that department. And there are some others in China, too. But when it comes to the smartphone and the polished look and feel and the revenue sources that come in – Apple sort of owns the game to a large degree. The App Store was a a huge success. Their move to subscription-based services has become the majority of their revenue stream now as opposed to selling the physical devices themselves. And that's going to be the case in the metaverse. They're not going to be the first there. They won't be the only ones, but they're going to be the ones to step back, wait to see what everybody else has done, and then provide a polished and admittedly
3: more expensive introduction to the metaverse. You know, Jack, you're pointing me uh, to a Howard Marks' piece this week. Friends, if you get a chance, uh, Google Howard Marks. Uh, read his piece. Um, the, the headline was Selling Out. Um, and, Jack, again, I want to thank you again for that. I'll do it publicly on air here. Uh, you prompt me in the right direction. Some very, very good content, and it just helps us uh, think uh, in, in a manner that is conducive to our own style that we're always trying to enhance. We do have a, a house style, Jack and I, and it, uh, it works very, very well. But if you want to know how well it works, visit our website, uh, WolfgangKlein.com. Look at the performance reports. I think you'll be quite impressed. Certainly our clients are. Um, but again, you, Howard Marks note talks about you know being in it for the long run and not getting shaken out of positions uh, just because of news or just because of market direction. And he spoke about Amazon, uh, how Amazon uh, was a five dollar stock in the mid 90s it ran to a hundred dollars uh in 99 and then in the 2000 tech rack went down to six dollars uh amazon today what jack thirty three hundred dollars uh so many chances to to exit the trade uh but the smartest thing to do with the amazon trade was nothing but hang on to it uh easy to say very difficult to do. But history has proven that when, when you have a gem, and again, I, I say this because Michael's talking about Apple, and Mike Walkley, our analyst, has been favorable on the Apple story for the last, 12 I've known Michael for 11 years, favorable throughout the entire term. Um, but again, we have a position in Apple, and it's just a core holding. And Mike, you really do uh, help verify, I think, our theses around such a quality company. When you own a great compounder, Hang on to it. Michael Hainsworth, uh, you're a great compounder. We're going to hang on to you, bring you back on the show. I really appreciate your time. Uh, very, very insightful. Uh, I do look forward to seeing you on the speaking circuit as well. You you belong uh, in that space, certainly in the world of technology. You're very, very good. Uh, friends, if you Looking for a corporate uh, host, Michael Hainsworth, uh, host of Where's My Jetpack, formerly television star, BNN CTV, uh, tech guru. Uh, real pleasure, my friend. You have yourself a safe weekend. We're going to take a quick break, get right back to the show, uh, 640 Toronto.
2: Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.
3: Friends, that's what the show is all about. I am Wolfgang Klein, wolfgangklein.com. If you have any questions, anytime. Jack Hartle, portfolio manager, partner. Uh, we have John Johnson on the line. He's a strategist, a good friend of mine from Bay Street for decades. Uh, he's with Davis Ray, and uh, we have him on the show every couple of months just to see what he is seeing as a strategist's mind. Uh, New Year, John. Um, last year was unbelievable. Uh, again, another double digit uh, year put up on the board. Who would have thought? Um, let's take ourselves, put our bank hat on for a bit and just talk bank theory that I learned when I was at the big bank with you. Uh, and that was the four year cycle and the presidential cycle uh, bespoke investment research. I also subscribe to put out a good piece uh, going through the facts of previous Uh, second year in a presidential term, which we're now entering the second year of the presidential term, tends to be the weakest of the four years. Average return, uh, about 5%. Average return for the market in the last 100 years, about 10%. So half the average. Um, Javid, our chief uh, uh, market technician, has been calling for a uh, four-year cycle reset, which does over uh, uh, overhang and, and 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 dovetail into the presidential cycle, but his four-year cycle reset was such that the market has to pull back for it to go higher, and he was anticipating sometime within the last nine months that we're going to have that pullback, and perhaps we're right in the middle of it right here, right now. Uh, so the, the the forecast would be such. Weak market at the beginning of 2022, and then the market strengthens going into the year-end, and perhaps we end up with a 5% return. Again, our, our, our chief strategist, Tony Dwyer, is saying do not sell the weakness. Perhaps you sell the strength when you get it, and you buy the weakness, but don't get shaken out of your positions. Uh, we will get through the year. J.J., uh, with that uh, on the table, uh, please speak to it. Give us your view on things um, and tell us what, to, what you're anticipating for 2022.
1: Well, I don't want to fully agree with everything because that's, uh, uh, I don't like being on the consensus, uh, but I buy into the four-year cycle as well. Uh, it has a nice recurring pattern. It doesn't necessarily mean uh, a sharp drop in the markets, and you know, Javed's research – and, you know, indeed, research that most of us have looked at is during periods where you have secular strength inequities equities that we're in now and we've been in for several years. Uh, these are periods where the pullback tends to be mild, um, you know, in the ten, more like 10 to 15 percent than 20 percent plus mm-hmm. uh, and, and reinforcing. Um, The potential for some of the weakness potential weakness or choppiness in equity markets is the fact that you know after several years of ultra low interest rates and bond buying by central banks and you know creating a fair amount of liquidity uh, the central banks are now taking the punch bowl away indeed though you know it's going to start in Canada probably next week and uh, at the US Federal Reserve by the end of the quarter you know by the end of March is that rates are going to start going up? They're not going to go up to levels I don't think this year that would threaten the economic recovery, but they may take some speculative froth out of the market. And you know we have we've gone from an environment of a greatly you know a strong rebounding economy uh, and you know multiple years of relatively low inflation. Now we have an economy that's past its peak in growth, still growing well. And I'm referring to the global economy and most of the major economies in that. Uh, But now we have much higher inflation than we're used to. Even if it's going to be temporary, it's going to be less temporary than most of us hope for. And interest rates are going up. So you know, there's there's some fundamental backdrop here to, you know, to shake people's um, uh, what they've had this entrenched positive view. And I think that there's some room for uh, some rough times. And I think the year will end on a very positive note because I don't think we're heading towards a recession. Uh, I think we're going to do some adjustments in terms of scaling down, um, you know, optimistic expectations, but the reality at the end of the day is going to be pretty good. But short-term rates will be higher, cash will offer a little bit of a return finally after several years of nothing, and uh, I think it's a time to play defense. And you know, we when we look at portfolios, you know, we view this kind of environment as one in which you want to be close to your, you know, your benchmark. Um, You know, and if that means you have to rebalance out of equities back into fixed income or cash after such a nice run in equity markets, then so be it. Um, And uh, but it is a a time to stay close to home and be a bit more defensive than we have been.
3: Um, So let's talk about uh, defensive play Um, in your in in your mind. And let's not let's put cash aside. Um, You know, I'm sort of of frustrated by the phrase "raise cash, raise cash, going to raise cash." Uh, It seems to be a bit of a mugs game. But but let's talk about defensive investing. Uh, Where would you begin, JJ, in this environment?
1: Well, I'd always rebalance back towards fixed income. So, and in the fixed income Uh, market,
3: you're talking about bonds. You'd be buying bonds.
1: Well, in um, yeah, I buy some uh, very short-term, high high high-quality bonds. You know, maybe one to two years, um, you get a small return, and you are, your capital is protected, and it gives you the fire. You know, you have a fairly liquid, in, you have very liquid instruments uh, in which to capitalize on weakness in markets going forward. Um, you know, I, I'm not of the view that you want to you know be overweight equities, and you know we're in an environment where. You know some of these juicy dividend yielders that are up, that are bond proxies are going to face some difficulties in the, with bond yields drifting higher. Um, I still like dividend growers. I'd be I would be kind of very comfortable in that kind of environment, and uh, you know um, looking to add more when the time comes. So, you know I think rebalancing is one thing um, is element of it and you know, in the fixed income market, where I'd be kind of looking at building my portfolio back towards reba- uh, uh, to its balance, would be in the short end of the bond market. High quality, you know, A-rated and better, and maybe some U.S. Uh, paper as well, because I think if we have the kind of shakeout that we're talking about, the Canadian dollar is going to be weaker, and you get some ballast from uh, protection in the U.S. dollar.
3: Canadian dollar has been strong. Um... So far, uh, very, very strong in 2022. Uh, it was quite weak uh, in the last few weeks of 2021, so maybe a little bit of a, a reflexive uh, normalization to the loony. But th- from what you're telling us, is the Canadian dollar run that we've had is probably getting a little bit tired, i.e. that $0.80, cent, $0.81 cent level seems to be the upper, upper end of the band, JJ?
1: Yeah, I think so, with maybe 70, 76, 77 on the bottom for the time being. Um, we had a great run in the Canadian dollar in commodities coming out of the recession that ended in May of uh, 2020. Sorry, April. it ended in April, but it all began in May of 2020. Uh, and then now the Canadian dollar has been drifting a bit lower. That often happens. Um, this is on kind of an intermediate term basis, and that often happens after peak growth. Uh, And also, we've had a situation where markets are pricing in an aggressive Bank of Canada versus the Fed. And uh, I think the Bank of Canada may run out of the gate a little ahead of the Fed, but uh, I don't think it's going to be... We're going to see a big differential in monetary policy that provides a lot of support for the Canadian dollar. And I think there's some room for disappointment on the market side of things. The Canadian dollar, I mean, the Canadian economy is more sensitive to higher interest rates now than it was. The Bank of Canada has said that. And I think that uh, the whole, mon- and the U.S. economy can handle higher interest rates more than the Canadian economy can.
3: That's a very important point. What do you forecast? How many times will the Bank of Canada raise interest rates? This year, how many times will the U.S., i.e. the Fed, Federal Reserve, raise interest rates in America this year?
1: I'm kind of in the uh, four to five in Canada by the early part of next year and four in the U.S., uh, but over two years more in the U.S. than in Canada.
3: Interesting, uh, because Jeff Blanco, our our currency trader, uh, believes the street is is anticipating six hikes for the Bank of Canada this year, four for the United States. And he does not think that uh, uh, America or Canada can out bid or out the U.S. and I agree with him on that front Uh, so it's all coming together. We're going to take a quick break and get right back to Hi-Fi Radio it's a show about money. I'm Wolfgang Klein portfolio manager, Jack Hartle my partner. We help people like you build wealth. Uh, John Johnson's on the line with us. Good friend of mine, Marcus Radges at Davis Ray. We're going to talk about dividend stocks when we come out of the break. Uh, Suncor is on my radar with a 4.6 dividend yield. Interesting stuff stay tuned.
2: Listen, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.
0: You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.
3: And listen to my story about a man named Jed, A poor mountaineer barely kept his family fed, And then one day he was shooting at some food, And up through the ground come a bubbling crude, Oil that is, black gold, Texas tea. Well, the first thing you know, old Jeb's a millionaire. The folks said, Jed, move away from there. Said, California is a place you ought to be. So they loaded up the truck and they moved to Beverly. Welcome Euros, That is fi Radio. We're talking money. We're going to talk oil, big part of the Canadian economy. Uh, if you recall, um, 18 months ago, two years ago, at the start of COVID, oil went to zero. That's right. In fact, they were... Selling. The producers were, were paying people to take oil off of their tankers. Uh, they couldn't, they, they couldn't they clear, clear the port. They had to get rid of the oil. Uh, it went to zero. In fact, it went negative. So did interest rates. Um, never say never. It's, it, it's a fascinating world, and sometimes you just have to scratch your head. But things have normalized in the oil space. And, in fact, things are very uh, tight in the oil patch, I shall say. Uh, the environmental concerns, carbon concerns, uh, the ESG theme – has basically took production levels to historically low levels. What that means is producers, as they take a, a barrel out of the ground, they don't find another barrel to replace it, and eventually the oil runs dry. Uh, that could be an issue. Uh, that could push oil prices significantly higher. And I, I, I'm going to make a call, I'm going to re- reiterate my call, that I will not be surprised to see oil trade 150 a barrel. Right now it's 83 a barrel. It won't be permanent. It'll be a temporary spike. Uh, it'll be an extreme. And that's usually what happens. Things go to extreme, extreme high and extreme low. Uh, and if you're fortunate enough and uh, versed enough and you can buy the extreme low, you can become rich uh but you don't need to do that either if you buy quality and hang on to it you get paid along the way and if you're in the right names you'll make money as well a slow steady eddie also wins the race Suncor stock that jack and i have held for a number of years still down on the trade i must say although i have traded the name many times through my career and made money but the last entry point was at higher levels but the stock does pay me uh 4.6 percent uh Stocks coming back to the blue chip theme, Uh and the chart looks very, very compelling, I must say. Uh, John, uh, what's your view on the Canadian oil patch, uh, on oil in general, uh, and so some of the dividend players that exist in the TSX to offset uh, a very low interest rate environment for uh, income-oriented investors?
1: Well, certainly the dividend point is a good one. Um, if you want an income-oriented portfolio, you can't do it with fixed income. To me, fixed income is there for ballast, and you should always have some of it. Um, but uh, you need dividend-oriented stocks. I like the growers more than the the ones with the higher yield. Uh, but certainly, you know, looking at the oil patch, like the even with oil prices lower than they are now, you know, The commodity sector has been in pretty good shape for several years. They've cleaned themselves up. The question is, is this the beginning of another big run in uh, energy prices? You know, we have some shortages that may be temporary here uh, related to the pandemic. It's showing up in commodities as well as in goods and services. Uh, You also have some geopolitical uncertainty with Mr. Putin banging his drums. Uh, That could get a lot worse before it gets better. So I think if we see the kind of spike you're talking about, it won't be – long-lived that would be a huge tax on consumers and it would slow demand down materially and uh i'm in the camp that the commodity cycle the downward commodity cycle is not over uh that's consistent with the longer term equity cycle still being on the upside so i think we're seeing a lot of transitory moves in commodity prices uh, and I think that as the global economy downshifts towards from you know relatively high to much more moderate and sustainable growth, that you know the demand for commodities, including energy, is going to ease somewhat. And I think we'll see a more you know prices trading more sideways than up. And I wouldn't be surprised that a year from now, oil prices and a lot of commodity prices aren't a lot different than they are now. And the Canadian dollar, uh, on a spot basis, is not a lot different than it would, it is today.
3: Uh, what, what, what about electrification? Uh, the the metals that go into electrification. Um, uh, well, what's your view on that? On that on that part of the commodity space?
1: Well, I think that's one of the great themes, and I think we're moving in that direction. We, um, if we're going to survive as a species, that kind of uh, move would be a good, is essential. You know, I, I'm, in terms of the battery technology, I still think the lithium ion batteries are more of a transition, uh, and a lot of the the products that they use are going to be transitional, but that's going to take a number of years to work out. There's a lot of promising technologies outside of the lithium-ion space, but they're going to take a while to kick in. So I think that as we look to the next commodity cycle, uh, I think that a lot of the metals that are used in the whole electrification part of the universe are going to be the the theme. The last big theme in the commodity cycle was peak oil. Uh, And then after the, the bust happened, the theme in energy markets was... We've passed peak demand, and I think that uh, going forward it's going to be uh, metals used for alternative energy sources and fossil fuels. And I'd probably throw uranium in there as well.
3: Yeah, did Dortheimer, one of our analysts, uh, speaks so? Of- add length about that. He's a sustainability analyst, and uh, using our energy more efficiently uh, certainly is uh, part, partial to part of our success, uh, and and one of the ways we're going to get out of the uh, mess that we've made. But so is the ground, the soil. Apparently the soil is capable of of capturing a lot of carbon if we stop tilling it and stop loading it with pesticides. Uh, Fascinating times, my good friends. That's what the show's all about. Trying to stay on top of trends, trying to make you some money along the way. And, well, if you visit our website, you'll see that we've done just that for our clients. Uh, my friends, have a great weekend. Stay safe. Uh, John Johnson, Davis Ray, strategist, always a pleasure uh, to spend some time with you. I appreciate you spending time with us this Saturday night. You stay safe, and we will speak with you soon as well. Jack, producer of the show, partner and portfolio manager, uh, you did a great job, as you always do, my good friend. Uh, you be safe as well, and uh, thank your son for that uh, Roblox uh, information. Interesting stock that we're we'll going to have to pay some more attention to. My friends, will be with you next Saturday uh, right here on 640-